Have you ever been walking a dog that didn't want to? Like there you are walking ahead of it and there it is behind you, the leash pulled fully tight and it just laying on the road. If you haven't done this, like I've got a picture we'll put up on the screen to just remind you of what it looks like when a dog just says the walk is over. And you try to explain to the dog very irrationally that the walk is not over. This is not where we live. This is not where we're staying. We need to continue to go. And the dog says, I'm tired and I'm just done. Now, if you love the dog, then you'll pick the dog up and you'll carry it home. Or if you love your spouse who loves the dog, you'll pick the dog up or you'll wait with it till it has its energy and then you'll walk it home. If you don't care for the dog, you might decide, well, I'm just going to drag this little puppy home which is not advisable, it's not kind, and in fact, you get in trouble for it. In January 3rd, 2014, there was a guy who was walking a dog, and the dog just gave up, and he said, well, I don't care, and he just continued. People took videos of it. The dog had some scrapes, and he got in some pretty significant trouble, rightfully so, because he's like, I don't care how tired you are, you're going to keep going. And he walked his entire block and just dragged his dog behind him like a bag of cement. Like, it, 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 it happens... And it's one thing when it happens with a dog, but I feel like so many people, it's almost like a picture of how they've treated their soul. It's like, my soul is exhausted, my, my emotions are spent, but I just have to keep going. And so it doesn't matter how I feel, like I'm just going to drag myself through this. And so they just keep going beyond the point of exhaustion, which brings them into really a point of destruction, Where it's like, I have just dragged myself for so long that I've caused injury. And it might be weird to imagine splitting yourself in that way, but if I were to ask you, how is your soul doing today? I know that our answers would range all across the place. From people who feel like my walk with God is good, my my heart is good right now, my soul is good right now, and people who feel because of the world circumstances, because of things that are happening in their family, because things that are happening in their workplace that feel absolutely like they just want to lay down in the middle of the road because they're just spent. And this series has been about getting our life back because we as a culture, we've kind of given into this notion of just go, 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 go. Be connected at all times. Respond to things at all times. Put the family to the side and just Move your career forward. And there's this feeling that we have that it's just exhaustion. And we need to get back to a place where we're living a life that God would want us to live. And we're living at a pace that God would want us to live. That we're investing ourselves in the right things. And so where do we look at as a model for how we live our life? And there's a couple pictures of that. There's the picture of Jesus' life in the Gospels. But the, the Apostle Paul also sets himself up as an example to the churches. And, and he writes them in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, which is what we're going to be looking at today. And it says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now, as we study this passage a little bit today, and 
we're, we're going to talk about the, the model that we're supposed to be following and how we live. I actually want to start with the second passage, and we'll come back to the first. I want, let's go ahead and deal with the negative. We're going to get the negative dealt with, and then we're going to get to the instruction that's in the positive. But in verse 18, it, it, it gives us kind of a window into this conversation that the Apostle Paul had apparently had with his church many times. From what we see in Acts, he went and visited the church in Philippi at least twice. History says that he, he, on four different occasions, spent time with this church and lived with them, taught them, taught them the scriptures, showed them by example how to live out the Christian faith. And so he's had personal conversations with this church. And he reminds them, as I've told you many times, and he, said, and he quantifies it, and this is so important. This is so crucial because it's easy to rally emotional energy around criticizing other people. It's, it's applauded in our day to tear other people down and thereby feel like we've lifted ourselves up somehow. But I want you to see the Apostle Paul's heart as he's writing on this. He says, I've told you this many times, and even with tears in my eyes. Like as he's talking about part of the church that is struggling, there's not a gloating that's occurring. It's not a smile and a snarky comment. The model that we have to follow of how the Apostle Paul was leading the church was that when there was something to be corrected, his heart was breaking for those who were walking out of sync with the Spirit of God. His heart was breaking that as he talked about how you guys need to avoid this, the fact, the thought of people living this way, it was bringing tears into his eyes. It wasn't with laughter. It wasn't with joy. It was pain. He talked about the fact you need to avoid this lifestyle, which is a learning point just in itself as we get to this content. That when we see someone who is doing it wrong, when we see someone who is taking steps and is displaying attitudes and behaviors that are destructive to their marriage, destructive to their relationships, destructive to how they parent, destructive to their career, our response should not be one of glee. Our response should be one of concern and authentic heartbreak for that person. And not an, oh, bless your heart, kind of like Southern, like it's just the criticism heartbreak. It's a legitimate concern for the church. And I want to make sure that we adopt that attitude when we think about ourselves and we think about other people. Because when anyone looks in on your life and they see how you speak about other people, they will naturally look and say, okay, that's how they're going to speak about me. That, that if we have a joy in seeing other people fall down and mess up, our kids will understand that that's how we're going to look at them. I, I mean, I saw this on display. Just, I, I, one time when I was teaching, I talked about the front entryway to my house and, and how my kids, they keep putting their shoes in this one spot and we have this black stain that like goes and how we got our carpets cleaned. And I was like, kids, listen to me. And, and I said, you will not put your shoes on the carpet anymore. They will only be on the tile. And every single person in our church who has been to my house since that time, they're like, don't worry, Paul, I'm going to put my shoes on the tile. Because they understand, like, I, I apparently get really passionate about carpet. I did not mean to. I don't really care about my carpet. Like, it, it fit into a sermon at some point, but I, my passions may have been misdisplayed on them. Like, I would much rather you walk your muddy shoes through my house and feel at home than feel worried about where you take your shoes off. But when we criticize someone, something, in some way, other people, their ears will perk up and they will say, now I know this about you. And if the grace of God and the love of God 
and the concern of God is supposed to be shown through his people, are they seeing more judgment than concern and love? And so when we think about someone who's not doing it, when we think about another church that we were once a part of and we have animosity towards them still, I want you to know that like that's, that's a spot where you need to experience some healing to where you get to the point where you have legitimate concern and heartfelt desire for them to do well because that's how your heavenly father feels about them. The person on the other side of the political aisle that you, you would like to see bad things happen to, that's a spot in your heart that needs to heal. We should have legitimate love and compassion on people when they're getting it wrong because we know how our Heavenly Father feels about them. And as the Apostle Paul is addressing this and he's talking about how it it breaks his heart that he has tears, uh, as many are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. And some translations will say in opposition to the cross of Christ or enemies is the cross of Christ. I want to make sure that you have the right parameters here that this isn't like he's not talking about the atheists in the city. He's talking about the people within the church. And he's talking about how they, they're living and that their life is actually in opposition to what they say that they're about. Their behaviors, their actions are in opposition to what they think that they're lifting up. And, and we see this still happen, that, that there's people who, they will claim the name of Christ, but their behaviors, their actions, their attitudes are not reflective of what the cross was about. The cross was about reconciliation. The cross was about paying the penalty for sin that we owed so that we could receive this gift of grace and love. And, and the Apostle Paul is addressing the church and, and he says, follow my example just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as often I've told you now, before and now, I tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. The Apostle Paul, he had to write to the church in Corinth at different times and address the fact that when you guys are having meals together, there are people who don't have any food and they're being ignored. And some of you guys are getting drunk and overeating at these meals. He had to address the issue that within the church of Corinth, there's sexual immorality and you guys are just saying, oh no, it's okay. Like, like God still loves you. God does still love you. But as a follower of Christ, there's a standard that you're called to live towards. And the reason you're called to live towards that standard is because it would be graceless. It would be loveless for me to say, continue to do something that is destructive to you. And I'll just tell you that it's going to be okay. Continue to do something that is going to bring pain and destruction into your life. And I'm going to pretend like it's okay. That is not love. But within the church, there has been from the beginning this this fight that happens where people who are claiming the name of Christ are not living in a way that honors Christ. And it broke the heart of the leadership of the church because they saw God has something better for you, more fulfilling for you, something that will lead you towards healing and stronger relationships that will have you walking in the ways of God that enables him to put his blessing and his favor in your life. But you're doing things that are destructive. The way that you're coming to your conclusions are not in line with Scripture. When we search our emotions for determining what we should do instead of searching the Scriptures, we're leading ourselves towards a point of destruction. He further gives them description within verse 19, and he says their destiny is destruction. 
And that sounds harsh, but there is a reality of cause and effect within the world. That if we continue to display and live by destructive behaviors, it will bring destruction into our families. It will bring destruction into our spiritual life. And there's an obvious conclusion. And so I want to say this with love and compassion to you. That if you've, you've been continuing to do something and you know this is outside of God's design for me, I'm pleading with you. Come back to God on that. Yes, he, he, he gives forgiveness and he is waiting at the door for, for you. Just like the prodigal son who, who squandered all of the resources and made all of the mistakes. The heavenly father's love was on display that it was like a father who would come running to meet that son who would come home. But the son had to come home. Grace was found at the moment of reconciliation and repentance of turning to come back home. There is an abundant amount of grace, but grace is found after repentance. Because when we don't repent, when we continue on that course, the course that the prodigal son was on was starvation and destruction and loneliness and abandon. And so church, within the church, our heartbeat towards those who, who, who are messing it up is that, that we want to see them do well. Our understanding for ourselves that if we continue to, to ignore the Spirit of God calling us towards holiness, if we continue to ignore the voice of Jesus Christ that is speaking to us through the Scriptures, if we continue to ignore the things that we know that we should do, it will lead us towards a destructive place. He describes them further and says their God is their stomach. Like just what they want, what they feel like they want. That's what's determining right and wrong. Like, like we see that. We see that in the world still today. That, it, that if I feel like it's okay, then it must be okay. But I want to tell you that there is a standard. And I want you, more than anything else, for, for your own peace of mind to study the scripture so you can see what kind of life God calls you towards. Because there's an example that is set by the life of Jesus Christ that you can read all about in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can read about the, the, the leaders in the church and, and what they knew that they had to do. And, and you can read through the Apostle Paul's letters to the church, correcting the mistakes that were there. And God, as you study those passages and those scriptures and those letters, God is going to speak to your heart and you're going to know with assurance how you're supposed to walk. You'll be able to test and approve other people's opinions and say, does it line up with what Scripture teaches? Because what we can't do is say, does it line up with what I'm feeling about it? Because our heart is deceptive, and I'm always impressed. I'm never amazed, though, that what our culture determines to be right also tends to line up with what is most easy and what is most pleasurable. And it's not that pleasure is wrong. God created it. He designed it, and there's a place for it. It's not that things should always be difficult, but I know that if my gauge for, am I doing the right thing is just based around, is, is it the easiest thing for me? If that's my main filter, then I'm probably missing out on God's calling for my life. And, and so these people that, that Paul's talking about, that he's concerned about, he says their, their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. We've seen this. People who, who take something that, that Scripture identifies as sin and they hold it up as though it is a trophy. And our heart for our church, and I want to just speak to our church, is that if, if that has happened in your life or in someone's life, that we would have a genuine love and compassion for them 
And as God opens those doors, that we would give them a straightforward encouragement, come back to the ways of God. Because that path that you are on will lead you towards pain and it'll take you out of God's will for your life. And he will always be there. He will always be there to meet you, to bring you back. But he has something for you other than just determining it based on how you feel. If we're focused on getting our life back and in the heartbeat of this message is that if you've been straying out of where you're supposed to be, that there is opportunity to come back, that God has not forsaken you, that God has not said you've messed up too far and now you're gone, you're no longer my child. No, he brings you back and we can get it back, but we have to look at our life and there are practical, actual changes that need to occur. That the way that we spend our time, if we're following Christ, we have to look through the filter of scripture and say, what does God say about how I spend my time? The the way that I invest the resources that he's given me. The way that I speak to people. All of these things, we need to bring them onto the table and say, God, how do you want me to live my life? Because as we we give that to him, he will speak to us and give us direction. And I believe that at the end of the day, that, that Christianity is not just ideas to be accepted, but it is a life to be lived out. And so there's things that as we hear the gospel of Christ, that we have to put into practice. There are behaviors that must change. And there's models that we need to look towards to find guidance on how to live this life. And so the Apostle Paul, in the first verse, in verse 17, he says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He says, as you've seen the people who have lived for Christ, look at them and learn from them. Don't look at the people who are halfway there. Don't look at the people who are just using their own hungers and their own passions as guides for you because they will mislead you. Look at the people who are living the life. Like we, you need a good measurement because, you know, we, we, we understand we measure lots of things, right? And we, I, I don't know if you use imperial or metric. One of them makes sense and one of them we just love here in America. But we don't just measure distance. I mean, we measure all kinds of things. We, we can measure atmospheric pressure. I mean, we, we, can, we can measure a room in square feet. Like, we, we measure lots of things, but we have not really put a good measurement on how is our soul doing. And so the comparison that we have just used is what are the other people around us doing? Like, how, how are they feeling? How are they living? And we, I don't think we've had a good measurement. We've, we've had the, the, this idea of, uh, well, as, if I'm just in the middle of how everyone is, and we've lived in this lukewarm area. And Scripture tells us, you know, the, the measurement for lukewarm is that it's unacceptable. God says, I, in fact, I wish that you would be either hot or cold in your faith because if you're lukewarm, I'm about to reject you just as if you were cold, but you were so close. And so our measurement for how we live our faith, it, it needs to be scripture. It needs to be the life of Jesus. It needs to be the life of the apostles and there's a sense of like, okay, well, we want this tremendous moment. Like we want this one moment with God where everything just explodes and is exciting. But the reality is in living the life that we're supposed to live, it's one simple, uh, uh, just straight out, maybe this is just too honest, one boring step at a time. Like, and I believe living a life for God, it's invigorating, it's exciting, it's passionate. But there is this truth that it's like, To get to that life 
to get to that marriage that you want, to get to be that person that you want to be that you might feel like is so far away. It's these small steps of obedience, these small corrections. And we want it all in one jump. And it's like, you know, if you've ever assembled anything, you, you get an instruction sheet. And if you're a man, you say, I don't need this. Like, that's boring. Like, I can do this faster if I don't have that. Like, I have this thing. I'm just going to rope in all of them and dump them out. Like, it, there's this thing within us that makes us think that if I can just skip the proper steps, I can do this more quickly. But then what happens is we get it half assembled and something is on the wrong side. Something is now broken. Pieces are missing and we have to rewind. And we want in our spiritual life, it's like we just want to jump in and it's like, you know, we, we want to get it all done in one day. And God says, I want you to deal with this little thing, this little attitude. And you're like, no, God, I want to deal with something bigger. Like, I, I should preach a sermon. Like, I, 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 should, I should be in charge of something at church. Like, I just became a Christian, but I'm pretty sure I'm the most qualified person to lead everything now. And, and God says, no, what I need you to do is I need to do, you bring those thoughts in captivity to Christ. The way that you think needs to begin to change. And God gives you these steps, but it's like you want to do the whole picture right away. And so when we talk about getting our life back, I want to tell you, today is all about, you need to bring it down to the simple. What is the simple step? What is the practical change? What, what, what is the thing that you can measure that I need to change this in my life this week? I need to add this into my life this week. Because the apostle Paul, his attitudes, his behaviors, his actions, they were on display for the church. And he said, you know how I acted around the church, act that way. You know how I gave, give that way. You know how I served, serve that way. You know how I obeyed God's command when he put something on my heart, obey that way. And we can see that as we read and we study the scriptures, we can see that in the life of Jesus Christ. And now we need to see how does that play out in our culture today? And we like to make it confusing because if it's confusing, then it doesn't take as much action. But I want to tell you, it can be made plain, plain and simple. That my, my life with God, my spiritual life, it's not supposed to just be a Sunday morning thing. We know that. But we've made it largely a, South, a, a Sunday only thing in the way that we live our life. And so one of the easy steps that I'd say that we could learn from the way that the, the Apostle Paul lived his life, that he would go and he would preach in the synagogue on one day and he would go and he would reason with the Greeks on another day and he would go and he'd serve the church and they would pray together on another day, that we need to incorporate our faith into other days. And so how do you do that? Well, here, here's just a couple ideas, but I believe that God will impress upon you what you need to do within your walk. Um, one is we should worship God when, when, when the band is not here. That just within your own life, like, and if you've never done this, this might feel difficult, this might feel almost impossible, but I'm gonna tell you, it is meaningful for you to sing to your heavenly father when no one else is around. It is beneficial for me to sing to my heavenly father when no one else is around because I don't wanna hurt your ears. But, but there's a truth that, when, and this is, this is one way, maybe for the next month, whenever you drive the car, you need to just listen to Christian music and you need to just use that time to worship your heavenly father. And it's just like a marker that when I'm in the car, this is a time where I bring worship before my heavenly father. There, there needs to be a time where you unload what's on your heart to God. And as a man, I understand it can be difficult to find 
the value in saying what you feel because you're like, God, you already know how I feel, so I don't have to say it. But there's a value in speaking to your heavenly father about it. And he sees that and he understands and he knows that when you speak about it to him and he answers, you see the answered prayer in a different way than if you had not asked. Maybe it was coincidence that it happened. But when you actually speak about it to him, you know, you're like, I was just talking to God about this. So you've got to maybe carve time out to pray. And this is the thing that, that we've had so many things that we think it's like, I need to muster up the strength to praise and worship my, my heavenly father. We feel like we have to muster up the strength to pray. When in reality, what it's supposed to do is supposed to be, I don't have the strength, so I have to pray. And as I pray, I know he's going to give me strength. Like, I know that right now the strength that I feel does not compare to with what I will feel if I spend time praising my Heavenly Father. And so as I sing to Him, His Spirit empowers me to face the challenges of today. And, and it's one of those things, it's like, I need to work up the strength to do it. No, you don't need to work up the strength. You need to recognize the weakness and the need for it. I'm going to roll back to a quote um, that I had at the beginning of my outline. But John Eldridge, in his books, he wrote it this way. He said, God is our greatest need, our greatest joy, our only rescue. And I believe that that is a scriptural and biblical statement. You can stand on that statement. God is our greatest need, our greatest joy, and our only rescue. And I believe that churches would affirm that. But I believe that we have missed the opportunity of living that way. We have seen him as a condiment in the meal, not the main dish. We have seen him as an add-on, not a foundation. God is the greatest need in our life. As we walk closely with him, man, we are able to walk through any challenge that is in front of us. He's our greatest joy. Like when you have peace with your heavenly father, when you feel close with him, it doesn't matter that the world may be against you. It doesn't matter because you know God is with you. He brings joy through trials. He brings hope that the world can't touch. But we have lived as though we don't need him. He's our only rescue. He's the only one who can really change the situations. It's not, listen, it's not depending on your own power. Many of you have believed the lie that your circumstances rest upon your own shoulders. I want to tell you, you, you can put those back into God's hands. And as you live the way that he's called you to live, he will make sure all of your needs are met. He will make sure that provision is there. When, when Jesus was modeling for us how to pray in Matthew 6, 11, uh, it, it's, it's very, I mean, it's just beautifully spoken. He says, give us this day our daily bread which was this, this subtle, not so subtle callback to the daily bread that would be provided from heaven when, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, the manna from heaven. It, it was something where they couldn't collect enough for the next day. They could only take what they needed for that day. And it's within this prayer of God, give us what we need for today without the concern about tomorrow. And we've lived and our faith largely week to week, not day to day. And I want to I tell you, I am so excited about the idea and the reality 
that some of you guys are going to step out of this weekly check-in with God and move into a daily interaction with your heavenly Father who loves you, who has a plan, who has a desire to speak with you on an hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute basis. And when you step into that kind of relationship, it brings this joy and this purpose and this passion that you've been missing for a long time. And there, there, there's no judgment, there's no, there's no disappointment in the eyes, there's, there's no criticism about the fact that you've been missing it, but there is an invitation to get connected into it. God, give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need for today because we know we can trust you, because we know you are good, because you have a desire, because we saw in the life of Jesus and we saw in the life of the Apostle Paul that you show up right when you need to be there. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this out. You know, I, I, I have this here, and I joked about the instructions, even though it wasn't really a joke, it was just the truth, um, because I recently had to assemble a bunch of different things. And let me show you the pile of stuff that I had to assemble. Um, yeah, that's uh, eventually an entertainment little table that's now in our living room, and I I love getting to do things like this. <laughs> it's exactly how I want to spend my Saturday. And so you can see the instruction manual laying right there as well. And I'm, uh, I'm working on it. And it takes enough time and it's enough frustration on its own. And I, I've learned through many mistakes that I have to just follow the stupid little steps of, okay, open, bag, double, M, and, and take out the one. And it's a slow process and I'm, I'm going to get it done. But you want to know another fun wrinkle to the process is when you have a four-year-old who loves to help right? right, um, And that's my little guy. Like you think getting the, the, the screws put into the wood takes a while on your own. Um, it's very different at a four-year-old speed. I recognize that, you know, my calling, my purpose, my passion in life is not in furniture assembly. Um, that's not necessarily like the big future God has for me. It's not my calling. My calling is to be a father. And there's a part of me that says, hey, there's a schedule, there's a timeline, there's things that you could be doing later. Like you need to get this assembled as quickly as possible. You need to get from point A to point B as fast as possible. And wherever in your life is that you've just been like, I've got to rush from point A to point B, that you can rush through it, but you might miss a person on the way. And I hope that I can hold on to this attitude that, you know what, sometimes things need to slow down so that I can pour the love that God has given me to my kids into them, that I can show them the way, that I can show them how to do difficult things in a calm manner. Like, I, I hope that I can hold on to that, but I recognize my calling isn't just about point A to point B from, you know, empty box to assembled table. How we get there matters. legitimate concerns in your household, legitimate concerns in your career, legitimate things that you want to like get through the stage quickly, how you live through the stage matters. There's a model that you can follow. That within your life, the other mature believers that you've seen, within your study of scripture, the life of Jesus and how he spoke and lived, the apostles, the leaders in the church, we need to look at them and we need to say, okay, how do I do that here? For me, it meant, you know, slowing down while assembling something. For me, it, it means, you know, sometimes stopping when someone's car is broken down and seeing if I can help. 
For me, it means I've got to have times of praise and worship. I have to have times of study of scripture. I have to have times where I pour my heart out in prayer to my heavenly father, even though I feel like I don't have time for any of those things because I realize those are the things that I'm here for. Everything else is passing. So church, you have an invitation to a life that has walked closely with your heavenly father. You have an invitation and it demands a response. So what does your response look like? How is your life looking different? Because you know God so loved you that he sent his son. How does your life worship him on Monday? I'm asking that God would just put on your heart a simple step. Just one, one square in the instruction booklet. God, what is the next step? And we'll take our time through it. Because we know we're not just here to get from point A to point B. We're here to make a difference in people's lives, to walk closely with our Heavenly Father. So we will enjoy our time while we can honor Christ here on earth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have examples to look at. I thank you that we don't have to determine just through our own desires what is right and wrong, but you have spoken to us, you have written to us, you have made clear to us. And your spirit makes clear to us what the step is moving forward. Of where we need to bring our life into obedience with the teachings of Christ and the teachings of Scripture. And whatever that small step is, it may not feel significant, but help us to have confidence that if we obey you, you will show up. And as we feel like that is completed, help us to continue to, to hold to what we have attained because you know, we know that you are walking with us through a greater story. But in this chapter, in this page, help us to obey what you ask in Jesus' name.